Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Podcast. Watch us live every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11.05 a.m. at gosblive.com or visit us in person. You can find directions at gostonebridge.com. Connect with us on our social media at facebook.com slash and our Instagram at sbchurch. So we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, especially the second half where uh, Paul actually uh, talks about the application of who God is to our lives. And we get to this part where Paul is talking about how you fight your battles. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I'm like, yes, I, I want to understand how to fight my battles, but it might not be quite the way um, you think or what, what you're thinking of. It's, it's not, you know, how to, to deal with things out there and, and defeat uh, evil things, whatever. It, the battles he's talking about are how to deal with things in here, because all of us have battles in here. I, I know people who... Uh, who would say, you don't have to worry about me fighting battles because I avoid all conflict. Are you one of those? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just, I'm not dealing with it. And, and depending on how you grew up, I grew up in a family that was pretty much that way. Uh, we were old Southern, you know, family and, you know, you, you just let everything go and you smile and you don't, you don't battle over anything. The good news is uh, when I got married, I married uh, my wife. She comes from the totally opposite family. I mean, you know, they're going to they're gonna fight out everything. And it, it made for interesting first couple of years of marriage because she's going to deal with it. You know, we're going we're gonna to bring it up now. I'm like, no, no, let's just not deal with it at all. But, but here's the way it works. You know, depending on, no matter how you came up, you have to deal with the struggles that you have in here, right? You can't avoid them. Oh, you can try, but you can't really avoid the struggles that go on in here in your life. And, and Paul actually is going to talk about how you deal with those struggles. You know, talking about um, family, you inherit things from your family, right? So for my mom and dad, I, I inherited certain things. And the older I get, the more they kind of pop up. I, you know, I'm, I'm starting to deal for the first time uh, for a couple of years now with some arthritis. I remember my dad having arthritis. I'm like, Thanks, Dad. Did you ever do that? Yeah. I inherited this. My mom did not have strong or very uh, thick enamel on her teeth. And uh, my dentist let me know, because he was also my mom's dentist, you have your mom's teeth. Thanks, Mom. And, uh, but does that mean that, that, that you can't overcome those things? No. In, in fact, that's one of the things that is unique about us. Um, we can make choices. We can make changes. You, you can heal from the wounds and the things that maybe you inherited or that you feel like that just kind of came with who my, my family is. So because of that, my mom was absolutely adamant with her children that, that we would go to the dentist every six months, you know, right, whether we needed it or not. And just to let you know, I needed it because of that enamel and um and so you'd have to go and they would have to check and you know because being a kid uh, you know eating candy and things like that you know and they didn't know how to coat them before I would usually have to have a, a filling and my mom still says you know before she passed away she would still say I never said this but I distinctly remember my mom and the dentist saying you can't have Novocaine on teeth so you can kind of play this out right so every filling I ever had uh, up until out, when I was out of college, I had with no Novocaine. So I did not enjoy the dentist's office at all. I mean, it was one of those, that anytime I hear that kind of sound, zzz, 
you know, like a drill, I'm like, whoa, you know, here we go again. But you can overcome those things, can't you? Sure, you can overcome those things. Uh, my dad, growing up in life, one of the things that happened to him is because he could type, my dad ended up in a better place later on in life. And so one of the things he did is he made sure that all three of his kids, we had to go to typing class in high school. You know, and I was like, I don't, I don't want to have to go to typing class. Are you kidding? You know, that, that just doesn't sound like something that would be a whole lot of fun or that I would need to do. And of course, who would know that keyboards became that important? And you just, you know, learning how to type ended up being a really good thing uh, for us. You can overcome. You can heal. You don't have to be a victim to all the things that you inherited or all the things that people struggle with. And God has come to actually help you through these things. Now, in this... Um, uh, in your outline, just to let you know, I, I put five uh, places where, where he talks about how you should walk and how, because I was going to go through my Bible and kind of and point these out, but I'm just going to leave those for you. And I want to jump straight into this part of Ephesians. This is Ephesians chapter 6, um, the second half of it, where, where Paul is actually talking about fighting these battles. Now, he's going to use an example for us um, that would be uh, very applicable to them. They would see soldiers around them. 2,000 years ago, they were Roman soldiers, you know, the leftover of Greek soldiers, uh, you know, maybe Persian soldiers, and they would wear body armor. They would have weapons on them. And so Paul looks at it, and he says, what a wonderful opportunity for me to talk about the things that God has done for you and God has given you in order to protect you and to make you stronger through life as you go through the struggles of life, especially the struggles that you deal with in here. Now, I say that, I'm gonna have to uh, bring up some of the body armor and all, but I'm gonna try as best I can not to spend much time on it because when I get caught up in that, I kind of miss what he's, what he's actually saying because we don't really deal with, with this type of armor or soldiers like this, but it was a really good illustration. In fact, how many people you raised in church and you, you remember as a kid, always at, at least, you know, once a year or so, them putting a, a, a Roman soldier and a picture and you had to learn the body armor and what they represent. Anybody remember that? How many people, here's even, here, I'm a really, how many people remember and the body armor was Velcro and they put it on there? Anybody? Okay, I remember that, they would Velcro the pieces of armor up on the soldier. And you're like, okay. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to try to help, help you not get caught up in the Roman armor, but, but understand what Paul is trying to illustrate, what he's, what he's trying to help us grasp that is so powerful because it has nothing to do with the Roman armor. It's just, a, it's just an illustration uh, of it. And so I, I kind of put this in, in four steps. And the, and the first step that Paul's going to talk about is that you have to understand you know, what you're up against, um, the battle that you're gonna, you're gonna fight. Because if you, don't, if you don't catch that and you can't uh, focus on that, if you get caught up on, on Roman armor, you know, you'll miss what God has, uh, has done for you, what he has given you. So here's what he says in verse number 10. He says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty, say this with me, his what? Power, okay, so this means that you want a strong relationship with God and you want to have this relationship because God has power for you, strengths for you that you don't have yourself. You don't. They're just, they're just not things 
that you could have yourself. It is beyond that. And this word for uh, power or strength that he gives here, it means the power to resist. And I know you think, well, what does that mean? Well, like I said, you're going to get hit with things in life. And they're going to attack, you know, your, your emotions, your mind, the way you live, your, all, all these attacks on you. And that, and that causes you to lose confidence and to lose strength in life. This is, God's power is the power to resist those things. That they don't have the same effect on you that they would have uh, if you did not know uh, who God was and if God wasn't the strength of your life. So then he, he adds this. He says, put on all of God's armor. So the armor for them in, real, in their life was a sign that these guys are different. They're soldiers. The armor represented a certain status, a position in their life, but it also represented to the soldiers a certain confidence that he had because of who he was and what he was wearing, that this armor protected him. And it gave him a confidence that otherwise he didn't have in life because of this. And he says, he says, put on God's armor so that you will be able, listen to this, to stand firm against all the strategies of who? The devil. So this is the evil one, his discouragement. He's trying to get you off track. He's trying to convince you, you know, that, that there is not a God who, who watches after you. Uh, him trying to convince you that, that life is not going to work out well for you. And all of these things that go against you, he's saying, I want you to be able to stand firm against those things, not to be moved. It's not the idea that you are a soldier on the attack. And the things he's going to talk about have little to do with an attack. They have to do with you standing in the middle of life and not being moved, not being discouraged, not being, you know, driven off. Uh, just to let you know, kind of a funny thing, the word he uses here for strategies or schemes of the devil, uh, it's the word uh, methodeus, which is where we get Methodists from. Okay, you didn't, you didn't get it. Okay, so, okay. It's not true, but it just, <laughs> I just thought I'd take one little shot. You know, you got you to gotta take a shot at somebody. Once, especially in the church, you can do that. It actually is the word for method, and that is where, they, where Methodists get their name uh, from, and it means strategies. And so the enemy has strategies. He has methods. He has ways of trying to discourage you. He has ways of trying to get you to quit the fight. He has ways of trying to make you feel feel uh, in, in a way unloved by God. All these things are a part of who he is and God has weapons or he has armor in order to protect you against these things. He says in verse number 12, he says, for we are not fighting, catch this, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. So if you get mixed up on the battle and, and, and what we're fighting, then what happens is you, you won't understand how to use or put on the armor uh, that God has for its purpose. He says, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Yeah, that's, that means there's this unseen protection that you need, these, these things that you need guarding in your, in your life. Against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits, he says, in the heavenly places. Step number two, so you gotta know what the, the battle is and who you're fighting so you can focus on that. And you also have to know um, how this battle will be won or lost. Otherwise, you won't understand the point 
of the armor and how it's there to protect you. So this is where he jumps into this. He's gonna, he's gonna go through six pieces of armor and then he's gonna talk about the way that you uh, apply these. Here's what he says in verse 13. He says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to, here's that word again, resist the enemy. You'll have the strength to resist what the enemy wants to do um, in, this, in the times of evil. Then after the uh, battle, you will still be standing firm. And then he says this, I love this. I underlined this in red in your outline. He says, stand your ground. <laughs> I like that. It's almost like a team, right? You're going out and you're, you're, you're playing basketball or you're playing football or you, you, you got something to do with your team and your teammates or the one who is kind of the leader, the captain says, stand your ground. Why? Because everybody depends on you standing your ground. You depend on it, everybody else depends on it also. Because we fight and we stand as a team. You don't give way to the enemy. You don't let the enemy have, have sway over your emotions and your thinking and all these things that could easily get you to quit or to, uh, or to cower away. He says, stand your ground. And then here's what he says, putting on the, here's the first piece, putting on the what? The belt of truth. Now, for them, for a soldier, the belt was this piece of leather, sometimes referred to as a girdle or a harness. And, and the point of this was it was mostly unseen, but the belt held everything together. And, and you and I realize the importance of truth, don't we? Because if what you stand on and what you believe is not true, you're vulnerable. Because if the truth is revealed or it's revealed that what you're standing on is, is not true, then of course you collapse, you fall, you, you can't stand your ground. Now in, 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 in many cultures, and ours does the same thing, the, the emphasis is to have your own truth. That's not what he's talking about. If your truth is not true, then you're deceiving yourself. And you're standing in a place that one day, one day, you'll be sad you stood there because you'll find out it's not true. I, I know that, that there's the, the, the idea that we can create our own truth, but, but there's this, always this, this truth that's out there that it doesn't work that way. You know, if, if I go out and I tell a lie or create something that's a product that's not true, and I say, as long as I hold to it, as long as I believe it, as long as I keep, you know, it'll work out. Well, it will until someone finds out that it's not what? Not true. It's not the real product. I mean, you know, that's what we, we see this all the time with people who make things and they don't do what they're supposed to do. Remember the lady that built the, the box and it was built off of some things and it could tell all of your diseases until someone finally figured out there's nothing in the box that does that. And then all of a sudden she goes to jail. Yeah, she should, right? I mean, because you're like, whoa, this is, so think about it. if on the inside of you, the inside of you, if you're building your life on something that's not true. What happens when that's figured out? What happens when you realize that? Or think of it this way, if you can build your life on truth, if God would teach you truth about who he is, about who you are, if God could teach you to build your life on truth, how much more confident you could be as you go through life 
that, that even though things come against you, even though there are those who say, oh, no, you know, you know that I'm building my life, though, on what is true. That would be an incredible advantage for you. For the soldier, without that truth, you know, then he's got to figure out how to hold up, you know, his breastplate and every, you know, everything is in his hands and he can't fight because his hands are, are not free. You know, but the belt, the girdle, the harness that he would wear would keep everything in place so that he would be free to fight his battles and he would be free uh, to do his job. So he says, that's the first piece. You, you put on this belt of truth. And then he adds, and the body armor of, now catch this, the body armor of, it's, it's a piece that is illustrating what? It illustrates God's righteousness. That's not your righteousness. There's a difference, and that's why Paul points it out. Your righteousness would be you saying, I do everything right. I don't do anything wrong. God's righteousness is something that he gives you, just like truth. God gives this to you because you, you couldn't come up with, with it yourself. You can't invent your own. You can't make your own. And it, it's a hard thing for people to understand. It's a hard thing to kind of come to grips with that you don't have a righteousness of your own that is capable of standing up. So God gives you something as a gift that you don't naturally have in and of yourselves. Jesus comes, he lives his life in this world. He's tempted, the Bible says, in every way that you're tempted, that I'm tempted, yet without sin. Why? He had a purpose in it. He's gonna build a righteousness. He's gonna live through a, and have a righteousness that he can then give to us. Paul calls it the great exchange. He, he's gonna give you his righteousness in exchange for you giving him your fallenness, your, your sin, your short-sightedness. Is that a good deal? Man, yeah. So his exchange is to give you something that gives you power and strength and the ability to stand uh, in life that otherwise you would not have because all it takes without his righteousness is someone to point out and to find your faults. Have you noticed how good people are at finding your faults? Or if they can't, just make them up. <laughs> just say you have these faults. You have these struggles. I don't know if you noticed, I didn't bring this up in the first service, but there's a, uh, there's a revival that's being talked about in Asbury. It's in Kentucky. Anybody heard of it? Okay, good. I, you know, I know it's on social media and all the news stations are talking about it now. And so there's this struggle um, uh, as, as it's being talked about. Is this real? Is this legitimate? What's going on? And there are all these emotions and things that I go through even watching it that I'm sure you've gone through. One of my emotions is I look at it and I say, well, they're experiencing something. I'm not experiencing it. <laughs> How can it be real, right? Maybe I need to push back against it. Or maybe, you know, there's, as you watch it, you see something, you say, well, I'm not sure I like that. And the, listen, those are real struggles that you and I have. But the question is, is God moving? And, and I'm not there, I don't know, but here's what I would say. I hope, right? Man, if it, and God has always had, there's always been times when God has moved among people and he's moved in the hearts of people that he just decided to do. He decided to do it. We didn't do it. We didn't figure it out. We didn't, he just decided to move. I grew up in a time where, you know, right around that late 60s, the first, uh, the beginning of the 70s, there was what was called the Jesus Movement. I don't know if any of y'all remember this. Uh, I, I know some people even 
uh, here in church who became believers during that time. And my, my experience was not going to that and being part of that, but I kind of came out of that because of people who did go through it. Was, it. was it perfect? Did they do everything right? No, of course not. But God did something. He did something. And I was even the beneficiary of it later. Uh, now, did everybody who was there, did they all stay and follow? And no, some of them bailed. I knew some of them that bailed. But God did something, and some gained incredible strength from it. Listen, if, if you think you have to do everything, you're going to miss the most important things. Because the most important things are the things that God does for us, and now we get to decide, am I going to grasp that? Am I going to hold on to that? Am I going to trust in that? It, it's true God has done something. Now, will I claim, take on, hold on to the righteousness that God offers me, that he gives me, that is not mine. I didn't earn it. When you do something wrong, do you feel guilty? Anybody? You feel guilty? Oh, good. Okay. Last service, only one person besides me raised their hand. So I felt, <laughs> I didn't feel guilty. I just felt alone up here. So yeah. So <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to say what it is, right? You should, of course. That is a natural reaction that your guilt, that you, you don't want to numb that down or take that away, even though I, I do understand. I know a lot of people say, no, you do. You want to you know, just act like you're not. No, you don't want to do that. It's, it's not true. It's not, it's not real. When you do something wrong, you feel guilty. But what you do is you go to God and you say, listen, I did something wrong. And then you remember that God has offered you his righteousness, not yours, He's offered you his righteousness. And to prove how important it was for him to offer you his righteousness, his son gave his life so that you could have that righteousness upon yourself. Now, as you go through life, are you going to still do things wrong? Are you going to sin, have shortcomings, failures? Anybody wants to jump on that one? You can talk about me. Am I going to have sins, sh shortcomings, failures? Anybody? Yes. You can point at me and say, yes, you will. Because of course I will. But this is not a gift based on my righteousness. This is a gift based on the righteousness he offers me, that he gives to me. And it affects long-term my sense of standing with God and knowing that God loves me and he accepts me, that he gives me this righteousness. Let me tell you how this really affects you. Here in your body, all your emotions, your feelings. In fact, you know, for a soldier, you know, to get wounded here, which is why they wore body armor or a breastplate, you know, you, you may not die of the, of the wound right away, but eventually if you get wounded here, you'll probably bleed out. <laughs> Emotionally, you get tired, you get weak, you struggle, it goes further and further, and eventually you just quit, you give out, you lose hope. Righteousness that he offers us is to make sure you don't bleed out that your emotions don't drain you and they just don't tear you up because you look to God and you realize what he's done for you and you recognize God's love and his compassion for you, the forgiveness that he offers you. And, and that strength actually can make you a better person, a stronger person as you deal with, with other people also as we're gonna see in just, uh, in just a, a verse or two. So he says, uh, you put on this body armor and then in verse 15, he says, for shoes, what do you put on for shoes? He says, you put on the peace that comes from the good news so that, so that you will be 
fully prepared. Now, I know that you might not think that a soldier's shoes would be that important, but, oh, it was vital. Because as a soldier, if you fall, if you lose your footing, say you, you slip, or when the other you know, army is pushing against you, if you go down, man, you're in trouble. In fact, you pretty much uh, ended it when you, when you fall down. You had to maintain um, your, your position. In fact, they wore kind of the version that, that we have of golf shoes back then. They did. The Romans would drive nails through the shoe the opposite way so they would stick out the bottom of the shoe so the soldier would be able to grip the ground. He'd be able to keep his stance so that he would not fall down or be pushed backwards. Here, here's what he says is your, are your shoes, is your stance in life. The gospel of peace. That, that's what holds you to the ground, holds you to reality. That you can share with someone or you can offer to them what was offered to you. God's goodness, God's grace, God's forgiveness. This gospel of peace no matter what you've done, because it was offered to you the same way. Have you ever had somebody, you know, you've, you've, you've talked to, I've had this before, and they tell you all the bad things they've done, and I've had some people tell me some really bad things, and, um, and they say something like this, so do you think that God could still love me and ever rescue me? And I've said, no, not really. No, okay, no, I didn't say that, but that's what I felt like saying. You know, have you ever felt like that? Yeah, because you're like, oh my goodness. I've had people tell me things, I'm like, you know, I, 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 I was raised in a small town. Sorry, I'm just kind of stunned sometimes. But here's what I've recognized. Whatever they've done, God can rescue them. And I hope he can, because if he can't, then how did he rescue me? Because I may not have, in my mind, done the same things that they did, but as far as how they are before God, listen, they're, they're still my own way as opposed to trusting God in his way. They're still violations before him. They still come with a penalty for what I've done, that God forgave me of that. So if God can forgive me, listen, he can forgive them. One of the most important stories is Jesus on the cross, right? And there are two people on the crosses beside him. And I don't know if you realize it because we use you know, crosses all the time. Uh, it became a Christian symbol much later in life. It wasn't early on because the cross was a symbol of shame. And it was a, a, a symbol of being disowned and not really being a person. And so these two who are nailed on crosses besides him, they were bad people. I mean, really bad people. The only way you get nailed on a cross is you have to be a really, really, really bad person or you have to intentionally go against Rome and Rome decides to make an example of you. And there's this one guy on the cross and, and he hears the other guy just hurling insults at Jesus and, and just mocking him. And he says, do you not have any fear of God at all? And he, he does the opposite. He says, remember me. And Jesus says he would. Wow. So, so he had compassion. Jesus had compassion to this man who was a really, really bad man. Yes. To show God's compassion toward us. Because in one sense, we are no different than those two men who are being crucified on a cross. If we get what we deserve, that's what we deserve. But he forgives us. You and I have a chance as we go through life to walk with our, with our feet attached to the ground because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which can, which can change a person's life. It can. You don't change their life, 
But you get a chance to share a message that changed your life and a message that has the power, it has the power to change their lives also. So then he goes on to the next one. So here's the, here's the gospel of peace on our, on our feet. He says, in addition to these, hold up, say this part with me, the shield of what? Don't you like the shield of faith? He says, which is able to stop the fiery arrows that are, that are shot at you. I like that because there's some point as you fight with one arm free that you have to have something that you can stop the things aimed at you. They're meant to discourage you. They're meant to stop you from, they're making back up, give up, quit. And he says, this faith, this trust, this, this hope that God will be faithful. Now, let me explain to you again. The faith is a gift from God. Now, you still have to put your, your hand in the leather straps of the shield and lift it up. But this faith is still a gift from God, that God shows you who he is, he shows you what, you, what he has done, and you decide that I'm gonna hold on to that. I'm gonna hang on to God's faithfulness. Um, I'm gonna hang on to the fact that he doesn't fail me, just what we sang about. We sing about it all the time, trying to remind ourselves that God is not someone who fails in what he does. The promises that he gives he absolutely will keep those promises and he will hold to those promises. And it's not dependent on how good you are or how bad you are. He does it because there are his promises. And when you hold on to those things, listen, then God becomes your shield against the things that would hit you and say, yeah, you think you're that good a person? You think God really loves you? Why would this happen? You hold up that shield and you remember how good God is. Uh, to you also. And then he adds this. He says, and put on salvation as your helmet. I really like this one because I think most of us battle in our minds and in our thinking. And that's where the enemy comes and he discourages us and he gets us to quit or he gets us distracted and to chase after other things. And when you recognize how much God loved you and that he, he saved you, he saved you. It's a gift that God has given you. It, then you remember just how loved you are, how, how much God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You remember that in your mind? And by protecting your mind from the things that would disturb you and that would distract you, 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 you keep thinking in a way that you should think. So not only is he, he's he protecting your emotions, he's protecting your thought process. He's, he's protecting the way you go and live your life and how you you act in this life. He's given you something to hold up when, when the enemy fires things at you to discourage you. And then he, he adds this. He says, and take the sword of the spirit, which is what? It, <laughs> hang on, is this. This is a sword. It's the sword of the spirit. I, I've known people before that says that they hold to the spirit and they believe in the spirit. And they're just going to do whatever the Spirit of God says. And they're so spiritual in that way, which, which I'm happy uh, about, but they have no grasp on this at all. And I've had several good friends. They're believers. They're Christians. But I, I tell them, you have to grasp this. If you go into life without grasping this in your hand, you handicap God's Spirit inside of you. I'm not saying God can't do whatever he wants. He can. But God has decided 
that this would be the sword that the Spirit would wield in your life. But once again, something you take in your hand, just like the shield, there's a part that you have to play in accepting this gift. You still have to pick it up. You still have to swing it. You have, so if you're in an army, right, and you're getting ready for battle, you're in the locker room, so different kind of army. You know, so you're in the locker room. And, and everybody's putting on their armor, and you're about to go into battle. And there's a guy over here. I'm going to call him Claude. So Claude decides, I'm not taking my sword. You're like, what? What do you mean you're not taking your sword? Well, you know, it's heavy. It kind of you know, gets in my way as I try to move in a cool way on the battlefield. You know, and besides that, it's sharp. <laughs> I might cut myself. Yeah? You know, have you noticed that when you, when you pick this up, that you might cut yourself also? Sure, because it, it cuts both ways, and it's intended to do that. What would you do if, if Claude was, was going with you into battle? What would you do? You'd say, can I get a transfer, right? Can I move? Because I don't want this guy beside me. He, he's not going to help at all because he's not even fully equipped, and he's unwilling to be fully equipped. He, he doesn't have a sword to swing, and so on this side, I'm always going to be worried, is, is Claude going to let someone hit me from that side that he's supposed to be protecting? And yet, that's what we do sometimes. We don't, we don't read it enough. Maybe because um, we have so many Bibles around. If you've got a cell phone, you can pull up a Bible right now. You can pull up verses just in a heartbeat. And maybe because it's, it's so accessible and, and so much, you know, there that we just think, uh, you know. But, but this is something that you have to pick up and you have to make it a part of your life. You have to understand what it says. And I would even take it further than this. I think you should memorize certain passages and things, the ones that matter to you. The ones you say, man, this is a big deal. This passage really gives me strength. Because what you do is you give the Spirit of God in your life the opportunity when you're in a struggle to bring back to memory what you have, you have picked up with your hand. And you remember how to swing it again. You remember how to use this to defend your life once again. Yeah, this is something that God gives us that is an incredible, incredible gift. I used to um, write in my Bible. My Bible has a lot of places to write and make notes. And yes, and I'm opening up to a place there aren't no notes and no writing, so that, that was not intentional, that was accidental, but I do have a lot of notes in it, and I used to write uh, real small notes in there by, you know, the things that applied to me, and I realized, and I, I used to be able to take on those really, really, really fine pens and write really small so I could get a lot of things in there, and now the problem is I can still write really small, I just can't read really small. Are you that way? So then I had to go and say, can you read that for me? What did I write there? Oh, okay, that's, that's what I wrote. This is the way you're applying it to your life. You're digging into it. My mom, you know, I grew up in a southern family, so we had a Bible and a big Bible. Maybe you had one of those. They don't have those as many. You know, and you, you're never allowed to put anything on it, and you're, never, you're not really allowed to, to touch it because you might damage it or something like that. And I still remember when, uh, when my brother, my sister, and I, when we you know, really got fired up about knowing God. It was kind of in our high school years. And my mom was like, you, you can't write in your Bible. You know, she would, she would tell us that there's something wrong with that. But we, we would write all in it because we'd underline things and highlight things and all. And within a year or so, guess who was doing the same thing? My mom, yeah. <laughs> I always loved it about my mom. My mom was not gonna let her kids chase after anything 
or go after anything that she wasn't also chasing after and going after also because she wanted to know everything that we were involved in. And, of course, my mom was, soon she became the leader in the whole thing and moving that direction and making notes in her Bible knowledge because it became alive to her. That's actually what the Bible says about the Bible itself. It says it is living. It, it is active. It brings strength to your life. And you want to grasp it so that, uh, so that it does give you strength. So here's the, uh, the third step. You want to use these weapons that God has given you um, for your battle. It, uh, New America, I mean, the uh, Bible commentary I gave uh, credit here says, in view of the apparent problems of disunity and pride among those believers, and he's talking about the believers that Paul writes to who are in Philippi, he says, some were not doing their work selflessly and with the interest of others ahead of their own. So this is the passage where he deals with this. And he says, I want you to have the same attitude in life that Jesus had in life. That, that you were others-centered and you were willing to humble yourself to be others-centered. And it's that wonderful passage in Philippians 2 where he then describes Jesus in this way, giving himself to us. And then he comes to this, and this is the part I want to hit with you, uh, because it might catch you off guard, but listen to what he says in verse 12. He says, dear, my dear friends, you have always obeyed God when I was with you. Yeah, when I was around, man, you did the right thing. You guys were great. But this is what he says, it's even more important that you obey him now while I am away from you. See, it's one thing when other people are looking or people that, you know, that care about your looking, but, but you need to learn to do what God says and to trust God and to equip yourself in this way even when no one's looking, even when no one's there because this is the, the, the time of vulnerability for you. And then he adds this. He says, um, keep on working to complete your salvation with fear and trembling. That's how serious Paul is about this. That, that there should be this, this fear and trembling that I'm working out of my life why God did this for me. And then he adds, because God is working, say this with me, he's working in who? In you, God is working in you. And here's what he's working to do, to help you want to do and to be able to do what pleases him. The two areas we struggle. I don't have the want to sometimes, and I don't. Sometimes I want to do the wrong thing. I have to admit that. Sometimes I want to do the right thing, but I don't do the right thing. I, I don't seem to have the strength or the ability to follow it through. And, and this is what he's saying. Listen, you need to work out your salvation. Figure out why is God doing this and that God is trying to work in you and to give you both the will and the power to do what he wants you to do. That's what God's doing. And that's how God is trying to equip you so that you would have both the will, the desire, and the power to do what, uh, what God wants you to do. And then finally, number four, ask God for clarity. You need to ask God for strength in your life. And not only for you, you should ask God uh, for clarity and strength in the lives of other believers, your family, and, uh, and other people uh, in the world. Here's what he finally says. He says, pray in the spirit at all times. This is not a posture. This is not a certain language or something like that. Praying in the Spirit means you are praying according to what you know God wants. Everything that he has said. You, the Spirit of God wants you to do these things. The Spirit of God wants these things for your life. And you are praying in line with what you know 
the truth is about who the Spirit of God is. And he says at all times, on every occasion, stay alert and be, uh, be persistent in all your prayers for all believers everywhere. And then Paul adds, and pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan. And to the person that's not a believer, it will seem like this mystery for sure. And for somebody that is a believer, you may say, boy, it's still pretty mysterious to me, but it is God's plan. That the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. That for them, that would be those in the family and those that are outside the family. He says, I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly, he says, as I should. He doesn't just mean this is not just like a law or rule. He's just like, I should be bold about this. It is the power that has changed me. It is the power that can change other people around me. Hey, so how are you doing? Armored up? Struggling? Maybe saying, hey, God, I don't understand why this is, this is so hard, but not looking at well, what has God done or what has God give me so that, given me so that it would not be that hard, so that I could go through this battle and through this struggle. Let's pray for each other. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you understand us, you know us, you knew exactly what we would face, just like you knew what they would face 2,000 years ago. And you prepared to equip us and to make us strong because we are yours and you care what happens to us just like any father would care about what happens to his, his children, his sons and his daughters. So Lord, give us your strength. The things that are not naturally ours but we desperately need as we face the battles that we face in lives in our lives. Protect our emotions, our heart, our mind, our thinking. Protect our words, how we speak, the things that we say to other people that, that sometimes would, would not help at all, but would distract even us from the real mission. God, give us the faith that we need to not be discouraged in life. And we thank you for your word, this, this sword that we can yield and we can wield and we can, we can have as a living, active power in our lives to know this is what you've said, this is what you will do. Here are the promises that you have. You will always be faithful to those. If you're here and you've never put your hope in Jesus Christ, maybe today is the first time that you realized he is the answer for what you need. I can't think of a more important thing for you to do as he is listening and he is to say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for giving your life for me 2,000 years ago, even though I just now realized it. Would you come live inside of me? Would you build your strength inside of me so that my life, my life, could be a, a reflection of who you are so that people could understand just how much you love them. In Jesus' name I pray.